And she's here. Leanne, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks. Lance, it's awesome to talk again. I loved our conversation. So this is really sweet. I'm, uh, I'm excited. It's been a while since, I mean, this has been a, it's been in the making for a while. I was on your show and, you know, finally, after all your uh, adventures all over the world, you're able to come in and hang out with us for a bit. I'm super excited to have you. <laughs> That's awesome. I was excited. I love your, I love the concept. And honestly, even having you on my podcast though, to see the guests that you have on, to see the people that you're bringing in, I think it's amazing. So congratulations on the success. It's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. It's, uh, it's been quite the journey that I didn't really expect. And as you know, having these conversations with people is just, it's amazing. And it just brings this energy into your life and these connections and, you know, you just start to grow from it. So yeah, it's been, it's been really fun. And I'm, I'm really excited to dive into your story this time because, you know, whether people have know you or not, you've done some amazing things, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different, you've seen life through a lot of different lenses mm -hmm. and you spent, what was it, 20 years as a broadcaster in Ottawa? Yeah, I did. I spent the first 10 years of my career as a sports anchor yeah. and then the, uh, the, the next 10 years as the morning show host. So Man. getting up at, so I was like the late night, you know, doing the late 11 and 1130 newscast and then going to like getting up at 330 in the morning to do the morning show. So very different sides of the broadcasting spectrum for sure. Amazing. Okay. Before we get into that, I want to okay. just kind of give people the context, maybe just give us a little bit of your background, maybe in sports, Walk us through kind of what you were up to growing up and sort of how that all sort of meshed together. It's funny, right? Because you start to connect the dots backwards, you know, when you, when yeah. you start to look at life. You know, I started incredibly young as an elite athlete. So by the time I was nine years old, I was, I was a gymnast. And so, you know, I was provincial champion by the age of nine and, and kind of going in that elite stream and uh, training 20 hours a week and my mother was my coach. And so we could go into like an hour of psychology of parent and athlete as coach and, and, and athlete. So that was kind of crazy there. Um, but I had an amazing, wonderful career as a gymnast that had a lot of ups and downs and fears and setbacks and injuries and probably broke almost every single bone in my body. But it was a wonderful launching pad to be able to travel and travel the world and represent Canada, uh, despite the fact that I didn't make the Olympic team. You know, there's four or five girls that make the Olympic team. And then I would say the good chunk of the rest of us, you know, like the next 15 or so ended up in the States on scholarships. And so I was incredibly lucky to be able to uh, have a scholarship to the University of Massachusetts and compete the four years in that program. And then, you know, graduate with two business degrees before figuring out that I was like a chance meeting and the next thing I know was on TV. Did I Cole's note version that enough or did you want a lot more expansion on that? You did. And I was actually, um, I did a little digging on your, uh, on your profile and I was going to ask you, you got two business degrees. I know. Crazy. How did, and, so how did that all, why did you decide to go into broadcasting? Okay. So here's the deal. So I actually, to be honest with you, I have like a bachelor of business and a bachelor of science. And if any science teacher saw that they would go into full panic mode. But one of the degrees uh, at UMass was, um, was in the sports marketing program and it was a brand new program at the school and they still hadn't found the, the, the school where they were going to belong. And so I was, I ended up with a, a bachelor of science degree from there, but the emphasis for me, at least from university, was a lot of focus on sports marketing. I, I, you know, as an athlete, I thought I wanted to work for companies like Nike or Reebok or get into, you know, the Olympic programs and the sponsorships and the business side of sport. 
And I had just returned home to Ottawa. I'm in Ottawa, Canada. And um, I had just accepted a job working for Labatt's. I don't know. Well, you would be familiar with Labatt's. Course, yeah, uh, it's it's a, big, well. <laughs> a big brewery here. And they, at the time, had this big um, beach volleyball circuit going. So I was about to, to leave Ottawa to move to Toronto to take this job. But my mom, who has this massive gymnastics school here in the city, uh, if she was celebrating her 25th anniversary of the of the club and so what was the job for me was to be able to put on this massive kind of there was this big event and because I had the business degree behind me and I'd taken some sports broadcasting I knew that I needed to send press releases out so I sent press releases out to all of the radio stations on the television stations and just as a last favor for my mom before I left and the there was a station a new television station that came the sports anchor, his name was Ken Rare. He was a former uh, pro football player. And so he said, he asked, you know, who sent me the press release? And I said, actually, I did this. And then I kind of gave him a little story. This is my mom's club. You know, but I've been, I've grown up in this gym. I was a gymnast. I just came back from university. And so he's, he asked me if, if I could just do an interview just to give the rundown of everything that needed to be said. And halfway through the interview, they stopped rolling the camera he gave me his boss's card and he said, our station is looking for a young female university educated former elite athlete to be our new sports anchor. And I was on television five days later and I never made it to Toronto. I ended up, I loved the opportunity to be as involved as I, as I was in sports and the television and the communication and the speaking came pretty naturally to me. I felt very comfortable, you know, Gymnastics is a very individualized sport. So when you're on that balance beam or on the floor, it's just you. And so I felt comfortable being alone in that stage. And I think it's the same thing when you've got cameras on you and it's just you talking. And so it came very naturally to me. So um, I ended up, you know, having to learn everything live on the job. And that was the scariest part. And that's where I think the competitive side of me came or the coachability side came is that I could finish a newscast or a sportscast and, and be able to be coached and how to change and how to fix things and, and repetition, right? Repetition is key. It's just is getting the numbers under you and, and trying to figure things out that way. So it was pretty interesting for me. That is. That's kind of like what every athlete's dream job is if they don't make it pro, right? I mean... I remember thinking about when hockey ended, that was such a, thinking about being a broadcaster was, was such a massive vision. I think, like, I think we, so many people had talked about wanting to do that, but it was, mm -hmm. you would have to like move out to the middle of, you know, middle of nowhere to get like the smallest little job. I, I talked in the first couple of years of me being in that, in that job, I hated talking to journalism students because I felt so guilty about how this opportunity landed, you know, at my feet. Now, granted, I had a lot to learn and I had, you know, because it wasn't just learning about, be, I knew about being an athlete, but to learn everything about the NBA and the NFL and the CFL and golf and Formula One and curling and horse racing. I mean, there was just so much to be able to learn. But the fact that I felt comfortable talking to athletes, you know, especially I was 22 years old, I was going into locker rooms with 22 year olds, you know, NHL oh, hockey yeah. players. And so there was, um, there was somewhat of a respect in that these were my peers at university, right? These were my friends on the varsity football and varsity hockey. So I remember being at school and having my, my friends, my housemates, you know, 
being um, recruited or signing contracts for the minors. And so I think I had a really good sense of, of what it was like. And I wasn't intimidated mm-hmm. by these athletes because they were, they were my peers and I was comfortable around them. And I think that really helped, especially being 22 and being in a professional locker room is that I had a sense of, I could talk the language. Yeah. And you were elite athlete too. You were on, you weren't putting anybody on a pedestal because you were, you have already achieved one of the highest levels for yourself that you probably could have. Right. I, I, I hope so. I think so. And, and because I had been injured and because I had gone through broken bones and having to recover and having to do rehab and, and getting back out there, but not being a hundred percent when you're back out competing, I understood, yeah. you know, what was happening with players and with, with situations when things weren't quite going the way you wanted, or why is this player still sitting out? You know, you, you kind of have a better idea about things. Yeah. So what I find really interesting is talking to people who have made, you know, who elite athletes who have done you know the unthinkable that most people can't do so you have to be there's there's certain characteristics that athletes have to have that you you pick up along the way to get to that level what are some things what are some challenges that you overcame but some lessons that you took away from that that really helped you in in the world of business and in your in your field other than just being relating to sports like what are some of the things that you pulled out of that a sports career. Okay, I will be really honest with you, Lance. I think something that happened in sport at a very young age has pretty much been the trajectory of my entire life and how I've dealt with things. When I was 11 years old, and as I mentioned earlier, I was I was I was really good, really young, and so I was I could have gone that Olympic route. And at the age of 11, I stopped in the middle of a competition, in the middle of my uh, tumbling pass, I stopped going backwards. And I, and I stopped midair and came crashing down. And it was one of those, it was a move that I had done a thousand times, but all of a sudden I couldn't physically make my body go backwards. It was like I had this massive mental block that came in and I thought it was just, you know, a fluke accident. But the thing was, is that we went back into the gym and I could not go backwards. It was, uh, it was, I was terrified. It was a really, um, it was heartbreaking. It was a, something happened with my psyche of which, you know, I look back years later and I think I personally wasn't prepared to train the Olympic route. And I think this was my body's way of, or my mind telling me this isn't what you want uh, at that level. And so I actually ended up, and it was very frustrating for my mom, who was my coach, but I ended up after three months of literally going backwards, crashing, 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 crashing. The fear just set in and it was getting to be dangerous. And so I actually walked away from the sport and it was devastating because I had, you know, it was all that I knew. It was my life. It was my mother's life. And, uh, I stepped away from it for a couple months. And then I realized, you know, even at the age of 11, I had a goal. I knew that I wanted to be an athlete. I might not get to the Olympics, but I could make it hopefully onto a scholarship or have some purpose and travel. And I went and saw a sports psychologist and we started the process of visualization. And I had to go back to being a very a beginner. And so we went back into the gym and I went back as though I had just started to train and learning how to do a back roll and like a back walkover. It was like I had to start and I relearned everything from scratch with the new sense of visualization that I had to in bed at night, do it a thousand times in my head that I was successfully going backwards without stopping. And if I blocked and I, so say I had to do like 20 backflips in a row um, without blocking, but I would get to like 18 and then I would block. Well, I would have to start back 
at number one again. And so I, I established this as a child very early on. And it was something that as I got back to the level that I was meant to be at, anytime I went backwards, I had to do this quick visualization in my head before I could do it or else I wouldn't be able to go. And it was something that lasted right through into my very last competition in the NCAA is that no matter when I was going backwards, I had to quickly in my head before I went backwards, do the visualization and then, and then go. But it was something that trained my mind to be able to walk myself through difficulty. And so in all of the different transitions that I've gone through, I go back to, I had the perseverance and the, the, the know-how at 11 to be able to push through something that I think for most people, they just would have walked away from. But to know that I had the capacity within my mind to see what needed to happen and then to be able to move forward with it. And it's something that I think I've incorporated into everything else that I've done. That is fascinating. So as soon as you would hit like a block, you'd have to start over again from scratch. Wow. So I mean, and I remember being 11 and 12 and like 14 and 16 and, and lying in bed and having to go through the routine and go, and it was pretty much like on the, on the major tumbling passes where you're, you're talking, right? There's speed and you do the backflip and then it launches you and you're, you're doing, you know, double, double tucks and double twisting things. And, and if I blocked, I had to go back to square one. But what's really funny is now 20 some years later, I can still have those dreams. And if I, and I, I'll still block in my head. Like, I, like they're like nightmares now, but like I can still remember and it's still so quick for me to go back to, you know, the fear aspect. And it's that's like, such a great lesson though, to be able to visualize because that's actual, like people say visualize and they don't really do it or really don't really understand, but it is, it's conditioning over and over. It's just like doing a rep at the gym. Exactly. And I remember in, in junior hockey, for some reason, when I was curling up the wall, breaking out of the, the end, I had trouble with curling and, and timing the pass to pick up the pass to break out before the D-man would hit me. And I always had this like fear that I was going to get, I must have had my head taken off a couple of times and I always flustered with it. Even when I play men's league now, I still have this thing. And I remember going through the visualization of like having to think about doing that play over and over again. Right. What people need to understand is because I know hockey and I know what you're talking yeah. about. And in that split moment right there, that's when injury happens. That's when there's pain. That's when there's injury. That's when you lose a little sense of focus, right? It's because you're, yeah. you're lifting your head up. You're wanting to see what's, what's, what's happening. And so it's often the fear, right? It's, and, it's, and it's a very difficult like pinpoint of when it's happening yeah. that you have to train the mind to, to work through it. And the thing is, is that it's not going to happen. And you talk about people that say they try to visualize, but it doesn't happen. This was like hours. This okay. was like an hour in bed of going through things and, and constantly having to do it. And it, sometimes as people give up, cause they just, they, they lose faith and they don't want to put in the time yeah. and, and they think, and they're looking for an easy fix and, and it wasn't an easy fix. And it was something that I still had to work with, you know, 10 years past that point. Yeah. It's challenging. It's hard to visualize and keep going because how many times, I mean, I for me personally, I can only speak for myself, but I'll think about it. And then it may be like, Oh, that's annoying. And then I'll just stop. You have to keep going. And that's a really valuable point for, for you guys listening out there is like, that's transferable to anything in life too, right? If you, you oh, absolutely. visualize, because I've, I've heard that even, you know, people who have become super successful, they visualize exactly what they want before they ever have it. And if you realize, if you think about that over and over and over again, you almost become that thing, right? 
you almost, it almost embodies you. I, I think, and I'm sure you've had so many guests on your podcast, right, that are talking about this visualization and almost like this manifestation of seeing things and, and, and knowing what it is that you're wanting and visualizing yourself getting it. And so it, it is, it's taking th- that training and transferring it to something else. I'm now in the process of trying to use that visualization that way as well, right? For one, it was almost, I needed it as a solution and now I almost need it, you know, as, as the goal setting, which are, are two very different ways of, of being able to use it. Mm. Yeah. And a lot of people just don't take it seriously enough. I remember even when I was doing it, I didn't take it seriously enough, but when explained properly and, and. It, it, it is work. So people, you can't think that it's just easy just because it's just like meditation. It's hard. It doesn't have to be hard, so to speak, but it's going to be challenging. It, it doesn't come naturally. Yeah, exactly. You have to train the brain to be able to do it. So yeah. how, would you, how important then would you say sports? I, this is what I, re, I find interesting as well, is that some people don't want to put their kids in sports. Some people do. Some people are afraid of the physical contact. Some people aren't. Where's your perspective on sports and kids growing up? And how, how important is that for kids? Okay, so I, I have two daughters, yeah. uh, 14 and 11. And I can tell you that uh, sport is a massive component uh, in, <laughs> in their lives and in our lives. And I, I think... Listen, first off, I think there needs to be passion for things. So it's not necessarily that it needs to be a sport, but if it's um, a child learning how to play the piano or the violin or as an artist or as a writer, you, I, I feel like you need to create a passion within someone so that they know what hard work uh, and perseverance and you know failure is, is like. And so I think it applies to actually absolutely everything. It's interesting in my household because I come from an individual sports background. So for me, when I was competing, when I was training, when I was doing anything, it was me. It was all about the effort that I put in was the success that I was going to get back, the training that I did, uh, and how it correlated to everything else in my life. My husband, on the other hand, comes from a team sport background. He was a hockey player and a football player. So everything was for him was about the relationships that you build through teamwork, through uh, trusting in teammates, through uh, not always it being your victory, but everyone's victory. So we come at this from two very different backgrounds. And it's interesting how we've, how we've realized with each of our children, which sport is going to be better for their personality. Are they competitive individually? Can they push themselves? Do they need the, the team atmosphere to be able to get themselves going and to feel more confident, you know, out on a playing field? But I've told my children, I want you out there because a, I want the discipline. I want you to be physically active. Health and fitness and moving your body is going to be essential. So even if you're not doing a competitive sport, you're doing something. And the time management aspect of it, a child goes to school, they have activities, they have extracurricular activities, they come home, they have homework, and it, it builds the lifestyle of what you're hoping for later on in life. So, you know, there's days when they come home and they're tired and they don't want to do anything. And I'm just like, no, we're, you're, you're going to do this. So you're going to go do this hour of training because I also believe that that endorphin that you get and the endorphin hit that you get from that workout, from that run, from that conditioning is going to help re-energize your brain. It's going to help you focus better and you'll be able to come back from practice and do an hour of homework and feel you know, good about it. So 
you know, I come from a different background. I, you know, for me training four hours a day down to having an hour, I, I feel like everyone should have something extra that they're working towards. Yeah, it's a good point. And it just builds those, those skills for life. You know, it's, it's discipline. The, it's time management. Yeah, it's working with people. Commitment. It's the commitment to something more than yourself too. Absolutely. You know, to, to having to be on time, having to, you know, because nowadays with phones and nobody has to be punctual, it's like, oh, I'll be, I'm going to be late. I could, I'll text you. It's like, at least with sports, it's like, it's going to be, you have to be there for this time. And it just teaches the right, the right lessons. Yeah. You've got to be there. People are depending on you. You have a look a certain way. You've got a uniform that you need to wear. Yeah. Uh, you have respect. I think we're not respecting enough our coaches and our teachers uh, and rules and regulations. And so I actually admire it when organizations are a little bit tougher to say, these are the rules. This is what we expect. Uh, rather than it, it being a lily dally and, you know, oh, whatever it is, come and go. I, I get that for some, the participation is the critical thing. And, you know, everyone gets a ribbon for participating. It's not necessarily fully my mindset. I think yeah. that people need to be challenged. I think they need to be um, responsible for their efforts and their action. And I think people should be rewarded when they go the extra mile and they train extra hard and they do different things. I So I'm not a fan of the everyone gets a ribbon. I, I, I couldn't, and I don't know if I'm throwing myself under the bus for no, that, but it's, I agree. it's, it's how I feel. And it doesn't and, teach you anything. No. And it, and it's not going to do you any favors later in life when no. someone else is getting the job or someone's getting the promotion. Exactly. Well, why didn't I get it? You know, and, and you need to know, you know, where effort and, and working hard and going the extra mile is going to come into play. That's exactly right. There's no participation trophies in life. So why build this fantasy world? You know, you work hard, you put in the time, you're going to get rewarded for it. And that's just the same, right? And, 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 and I love that. And I never liked that. I remember growing up as a kid, you would, you could, when I, you know, we're around the same generation. I remember at first when I was growing up, you get the first place, the second place, the third. And then later on somewhere they stopped that and they took all this stuff out. And I don't know, things have changed a lot since I was in school and sports. I feel like not necessarily the method how I was coached was the best because it was all fear tactics. Like we were yelling, yelled and screamed at at 10 years old and skate lines like until we pretty much threw up, right? I don't agree with that. But I feel now from what I've heard, things have become a little bit too, too soft, loosey-goosey in certain areas. You know, what are your thoughts on, on coaching? Because okay. there needs to be that balance, right? Well, there, there needs to be that balance. And I think what we're seeing, though, is there's varying levels now within sport, right? You've got the, the kid that wants to go out and just have fun and play, you know, kind of house league. And then you've got the, the kids that uh, are there, but are they there because their parents are pushing them because they're, they're you know, trying to push them a certain way. Uh, and they're in like the competitive stream. And then you've got those that are, you know, incredibly elite and are being trained like, you know, crazy amount of hours with that, that strict kind of goal setting of this kid's going to make it. And let's use the NHL, for example, right yeah. here in Canada. I mean, 0.01% of the population that actually plays is going to make it into the big leagues. And yet everyone has this dream that their child can be, can be that one. The problem that I'm seeing now um, and what's interesting is that we aren't introducing our children to a number of different 
sports and activities and giving them the option or the feel of what it's like to be able to participate in different things because we are so set. And I think that certain sports leagues and organizations are doing this, that they're, that they're forcing their children to, to be one sport athletes mm-hmm. way too quickly. And they're not establishing the fundamentals or the, or the, you know, the, full body function of being able to be all around athletic rather than just sports specific. And I think we're losing out a little bit on that. And that's unfortunate to see that it's like, if you're playing soccer, you can't play hockey. And if you're, you know, there's not a good mismatch or, you know, you got hockey that wants to play baseball or golf and, and because they're so competitive, they're losing out on being able to be multiple sport athletes. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, even when I, I was very good at my age, 11, 10, 11, you know, we, I, we, I played so much in the all-star leagues. It was all summer was playing. We'd travel, you know, to Minnesota and there was no chance to play any other sports, you know? And I feel like that is a little bit too much for kids that age. You burn out, you know, you have a big year. Yeah. And I think I get it when you get older, it's like, okay, well you have to sort of commit. I mean, when we were playing um, high levels of hockey in, in, in grade 11 or 12. And then we want to play rugby. They're like, well, you got to kind of pick. Right. But in that sense, I agree. But I think growing up, I really believe that having that wide range of skills and, and because a lot of times they play the sport, their parent wants them to play. Like my dad, you know, he wanted, he never got to play hockey. So he, he was making sure that I played. I loved it, but I don't know if my brother loved it as much. And it was like, he didn't get, he was kind of living his dream through me. And I, and I just sort of, we just sort of committed to that sport. And that's prime example is, is that I don't even know what else was out there. I played soccer a little bit, but it's, it, it is really important to build those like all around I, I think skills. so. I think you need to give them the choice. And, and I, I even found too, you know, there's, you know, I had my, my youngest who was very much like me from the age of five training as a gymnast, because we could tell very early on that she had, she could probably be better than me. Uh, and last year she just said, I just, I don't love it. I'm not passionate about it. And she's like, and she was seeing her sister playing soccer and running track and doing all these other things. And it was heartbreaking. And it was almost like, um, for like a, a little bit, it was like a death in the family for <laughs> my mother to see her best gymnast kind of pass it up. But you have to, but you know, it wasn't worth the pain of, of her not enjoying doing something and, and wanting to be able to try other things. So I think parents need to be to be, to watch for it, watch for the signs. If they're, if their kids are kicking and screaming, going to activities or don't seem as motivated, you know, there's other things that are out there. Right. I, um, I noticed that you, uh, did a little mountain climb to, uh, Mount, Kilimanjaro, Mount Kilimanjaro. I did. Oh my God. <laughs> did I ever get you? You want to talk about some adversity? <laughs> exactly. That's why I was throw, excited. I'm like, yeah. I got to hear this story. Oh, let's throw that in there. Okay. So first off, I was working the morning show already at this point. I, Cause I did it back in 2014 and I, I'm sure like a lot of people, you're going through the motions, you're, you're, you're kind of doing your day. And, and I'll be honest with you. I was bored. I, I, I don't know if it's, is as an athlete, I was looking for the next challenge. And I think I've done that quite often. I'm always looking for the next challenge of what can I do to motivate me to, to get through the days and then have something else to strive for. And so I joined up with this massive um, fundraising team here. They're called Dream Mountains. And, and it was the, the climb to Kilimanjaro. And I was like, this is perfect. Okay, so the first thing that we had to do, because I think this was, this was crazy, is there's um, one of the high-rise buildings here in the city. So it was like 33 floors. And our training consisted of the fact that we had to run up and down the 33 flights of stairs 10 times before 
going to, before going to Kelly. So you had to be able to do those climbs and I was able to do it by the end in like an hour and a half, but like 33 flights up and then running down and then That's doing crazy. that 10 times. So that was, and so the first day that we had this training, the goal was to be able to do it four times. And I'm like, okay. The thing is, is like I go to the gym every day and I do the stair climber. So I'm like, this is going to be fine. So I made it up and which was fine. And then you get to do the run down, right? Or you, you walk down the stairs and I did it the four times. The next week I could not walk. Oh. Everyone and think about it. When we go to the gym and we go on like the stair climbers or anything, we're always constantly just working our quad to go up. The problem is we never actually train our system to go down. And so the 33 flights times four going down worked like muscles that I had never actually even knew exist. And I couldn't walk for days, but thank God we did that training because it was actually coming down. That was incredibly strenuous on the body because it took us, um, it took us seven and a half days to get up and then a day and a half to come down. Now, the part that really sucked for me is I don't drink water. Don't ask me why I've had a number of doctors and nutritionists and everyone else ask me what's going on, but I've never, never thirsty and I never drank water. So even if I would get through a four hour practice, I never went and got a sip of water. Like it just wasn't part of it, but they were critical with me is that I had to drink water in order to be able to climb because of the altitude and everything else. So we started to try to train my body to be able to drink water on this climb. So on the first day of climbing and it got us to 10,000 feet, I was trying to down as much water as possible. In any case, I started vomiting like you wouldn't believe. So I was the first to get sick um, on the trip at only 10,000 10, feet. And I, I proceeded to vomit pretty much my entire way up the mountain. So they say when you climb an altitude and you could have, so 30% of people 33% of people uh, get altitude sickness and they get really sick, which was me. 30% uh, feel kind of normal. They have headaches, but they're able to manage it. And then 30% are on like a runner's high. And there were three of us in my tent. There, I was me and my two best friends. I was sick as a dog and vomiting at every turn. One of my friends was fine and she had a headache, but she was okay. And the other one was like on a runner's high and was like, she was on the biggest high of her life and it was like an endorphin. Like she just loved it. But it was an incredibly difficult climb for me simply because my head, it felt like um, I had a constant like hammer, like, like going down on, on my head. So it wasn't the physical aspect of actually climbing, which, you know, when you think about like going for a walk, it's like the, when we started to, to climb, we were walking at like a snail's pace. And I was like, can we pick it up? Like, honestly, we're all, we've been training. We can do this. Like, why are we walking so slow? But it's amazing how quickly as the altitude increases that you have like literally every single step is like in slow motion. Mm -hmm. So I was doing that and then vomiting and then walking a bit and then vomiting. I just, I couldn't settle. I couldn't settle. And, you know, I, I, I left a trail. I definitely left a trail all the way up uh, mm -hmm. Kilimanjaro. So do you think that the starting to change how you hydrate had an effect? Because why would we, why would you change if you were totally fine we, without? We tried to do, we tried, you know, I tried to consume a lot of water prior to in the training sessions that we had. It's just my body didn't react to it. I, I would have had a massive headache no matter what, okay. but it just, I couldn't keep the fluids. I couldn't keep the fluid down and the headaches were so excruciating that for anyone who has horrible headaches and they vomit from headaches, that's essentially what the altitude was doing. It was just, it was the, the pounding of my head was so intense 
that no matter what, anytime I was sitting up or anything, I was just, I was vomiting. And that really came back um, on that final night. We climbed, the, the final day was like a 16 hour climb. We left in the middle of the night to, to make it to summit. And it was going back to being like an 11 year old kid in a visualization of just me visualizing one foot going in front of the other. And I would start to repeat my name where I lived, what my kids' names were. And you just, I went into repetition mode to be able to get myself through the storm and to get myself up to summit. Like, I don't really, I don't really remember much about that, that night other than it was this pitch black snowstorm and I just put oh, wow. one foot in front of the other. Has that scared you away from climbing now? Um, you know, ironically, the two, my two other best friends who did it with me have gone on to, to climb to the base of, uh, Everest oh, wow. and they've done other climbs. And it's interesting because I've said to them until I forget how horrible the altitude sickness was, I don't think I could do it. So no, it hasn't quite worn off just yet. I, it, it really affected me. I, I wasn't going to not make it to the top cause that's the competitive nature, but it wasn't an enjoyable, you know, take a look at the scenery and see how beautiful everything is while I was incredibly sick. When I, was I, this? Would, it was in 2014. So okay, five so. years ago. So I, yeah, I still can vividly remember the horrific headache, pounding and vomiting throughout the right. entire trip. But I have the pictures from the top of the mountain, right? Like <laughs> I got the picture and, uh, and I'm, I'm incredibly, imp I was incredibly impressed with myself that I had the inner strength to be able to push forward. And I only attribute sure. that to my years of training that never would have been able to happen. And yeah. the fact that I was so sick so early on. Also the fact that I was documenting, filming and doing interviews while it happened. A lot of them say just the extra stress of, of doing it as a working trip and trying to bring back a story for the newsroom of this trip was probably an added, it probably didn't help. Ah, right. Okay. That was where I was going to segue in. I was like, how did everybody think when you got back, when you had to tell them that? Tell, us, tell us about, so, okay, this is, this is perfect because I really want to kind of, you know, pull back the curtain and hear some stuff, what it was like working in that environment as an anchor in the newsroom, all that stuff and how that affected your life. Like I, I what was that like? First of all, like a basic question. How did you enjoy working as an anchor in, in this morning show for, for that period of time? So by the time I, I was doing the morning show, I'd already been on air for 10 years. And, yeah. um, you know, I'd already grown up. I was 22 when I started, right? So I kind of grew up on television here. People saw me get married. People saw me pregnant. People saw me have my first kid, right? So And then my second kid. So I felt like the city knew me. And I found, especially with the morning show, you just almost want to become part of people's families. So I always found that the more honest and truthful and open I was, the more I could relate with the people that were watching. And I often just looked at it like, okay, someone is literally sitting at their breakfast table having a coffee. Let's just pretend we're having coffee with them. And I love that part of the show. Mm -hmm. I love that every day was different because I had, you know, anywhere between eight to 10 guests on the show. And so that was always nice. There was always something different. I learned how to cook from that show because I had all these chefs and authors and cookbook authors on. So I learned a lot by doing that show. And by the end, it just, it was like, I could do it with my hands tied behind my back in a blindfold. You know, you just, it became so easy to do the job. Yeah. 
if that makes sense. And then well, it, it became too easy and too much of a groundhog day to do the job. Yeah. Like tell us some of the challenges because again, people see, people see you showing up and I, I used to love, that was part of, I think everybody's routine is turning on the morning show, whatever one you like, your local city or whatever. And it's just part of the background sort of noise. So it's, it was, it's, and they were always like the local celebrities, right? You looked at them, right. if you saw them, you're like, Oh, that's the news lady or whatever. So yeah, I mean, what a, it's very, it's a very cool thing to be involved in. And, and, you know, you must've got recognized like crazy, but also talk about some of the challenges that you went through because it wasn't always like really super easy either. Right. Um, no. So the challenge became for me, it wasn't the challenge. I loved being out in the community. I loved, you know, being able to host an MC and do fundraising events. That just was part of the job. And I got to meet some amazing people, work for some amazing charities. The problem is, is that for the morning show for me is it was the hours. I think people don't realize that I, we were getting up. I was getting up at three 30 in the morning. Okay. So let me just take you through like a, a quick day. So I was getting up at three 30 in the morning. I would jump in the shower and then I would get back into my pajamas and, uh, drive to work. So I had all of my bags packed for all of the the outfits that I had, the day that I had ahead of me, everything would be packed and at the door. I'd get into the car with like wet hair and back in my pajamas. I would drive into work. I'd pick up one of my coworkers. We'd get there. We had 20 minutes once we got to work to be able to put our hair and makeup together and get dressed because we had to be on the set at 5 a.m. to be able to I'll record things for the airport. So anyone that's ever in an airport and is looking at the the news and the airport TVs, like, so we were taping that at five. Then we would have our post-show meeting, like, sorry, the pre-show meetings as to who the guests were, what was going on. I had like 15 minutes before 6 a.m. to like touch myself up and to actually get myself looking proper. And then the show was four hours. So from six until 10, I was live on air. So I was on, like, it was like running a marathon essentially for like four hours. You're like, you're just constantly on the go. Show wrapped at 10. It was post-show meetings. And then because I was the main anchor or the main host, you know, I had commercials to do and charity stuff and board meetings. And if there was an advertiser, I would often be doing their commercials and their things. So the day would wrap up for me at around 1, 1 1.30. I would immediately from there go to the gym because that was my only salvation. It was the only like emotional, physical release that I had for myself. So I would be at the gym until around quarter to three. So like I had an hour at the gym and then I'd pick up my kids at three. And then at three, it was off to gymnastics and soccer and track and whatever else was going on for activities, picking them up around eight o'clock, then dinner, and then making lunches and getting everything ready to go again, and then putting them to bed by 10 and then starting all over again. So I went from, I would hopefully be in bed by 10 and up at 3.30. And I did that pace. For 10 years until, until my body and my mind crashed. Yeah. Like I thought I was like super mom and my husband called me like super mom. And then I really, um, I lost my superpowers. Like, and for me, the wake up call was when I got shingles. So your body's like, Hey, you got my, my body shut down. And, and that was the, that was the trigger for me is that I think what was happening is I was, I hate to say this, but I was I was no more, I wasn't challenged anymore at the job. I had been doing it for a long time. I could do many of the interviews blindfold. Like, as I mentioned, like they were the same guests. It was the same topics. I was doing things for like the 20th time, right? The 
the marathons and the charity events. Like I was, I would literally had gone to the 11th annual, the 12th annual, the 13th annual, like it was becoming groundhog day. And I think I had mentally checked out and I knew that I had mentally checked out. I was, I was pretty good at, at forcing it when I was live, but behind the scenes, I knew that I wasn't there anymore. And I think my body finally triggered it. And I, and I ended up with a really bad case of shingles. And I was lying there in bed in extreme pain. And here I am, I'm 42 years old. You know, shingles is not meant for a 42-year-old. And I was lying there in bed and I was saying to myself, this is your chance. Your body is telling you what your mind already knows. Mm. Our bodies know. Our bodies and our mind are so connected. You know, when we talk about gut health and how gut health and like it's all related. And I knew that my body was giving me the wake up call that it was done. Like that schedule, this job, everything that I had put into it, that it was done. And I paced my house for nights on end coming to the realization, which was incredibly terrifying, that I was about to walk into my boss's office and say, I'm done. Wow. Which most people in television don't really do. They would have been shocked. Yeah. And and I I was given the, why don't you take some more time and go back on set and really think about what it is that you're asking and what you're really asking to leave. And I did that and I went back on set and I sat there and I looked around the newsroom and the industry and television is changing. The way people are telling stories is very different than it was when I first started in the industry. And I just felt like I was, I was, I was sitting on something that was dying and I wanted to be part of something that was going to, that I was going to feel reborn again. And so I, I, I took the leap. I took a massive leap of faith, leaving behind um, a job that had like notoriety and a salary that paid incredibly well. Uh, and I chanced it and I pretty much jumped off a cliff and um, I'm still flying. I haven't quite found my parachute and my wings yet, but I just knew that I needed to jump. It takes an incredible amount of courage. So well done. Thank, Thank you. you. It was, it was incredibly scary. Uh, incredibly scary. And, and like I said, at the very beginning of the podcast, I went back to visualization. Mm -hmm. I went back to visualizing what it was going to feel like to sleep again, like what it was going to feel like to not look at everything like half empty. I would be out at events and I would be looking at the clock going, if I leave in the next half hour, that means I can get home and still get five hours of sleep. If I only show up for this amount of time, then I can probably slip away and get to do this. Like I was looking at everything from a negative point of view. And I started to say to myself, why don't you visualize sleeping in or visualize having energy at nine o'clock to do homework with the kids and visualize what it's going to feel like to do your own project and interview the people you want to talk to. And so I just, I had to start rethinking about what it was that I want. And uh, it was really scary because it was the unknown, right? I had no idea what was waiting for me on the other side. But see, that's the thing is that most people, you know, they don't, they ignore those signs that the body's given them, right? They assume, oh, it's just accident. It's just part of it. And what they do is they continue on that road and eventually they get sick and eventually your body gives you bigger signals until it's too late, right? And you need to pay attention to that sometimes. You do. And I, I think because I was so passionate about health and wellness and because I really listened to the interviews that I did with doctors and nutritionists and people that were in that, in that field, I really knew deep down that this was my wake-up call. 
Like this was my body saying, if you don't stop now, you will get sicker. And I didn't want to be that person. And I didn't want to be the weak person to not face my fear of saying, you have still 30, 40 more years ahead of you to be able to re kind of reinvent yourself. And, and, and that I think has been the, this, that was the scariest part of all of it is not even being able to visualize who that was at the other end of it. That's amazing. And just to be able to do that, you obviously have faith that it'll work out and that's just what you have to do. We don't have the answers. We don't know all the time, right? We don't, it's just, we got to take that leap and, but that's, that's life. That's a beautiful thing. It'll always work out always, you know? Like, but we have this fear of, of, I don't know, this, this scarcity, this mentality that goes back generations. We all have it is that we're afraid of losing everything or I don't, I don't know. I know in my head, whenever I took a leap, I'm like, oh, is this smart? You know, is this the right, it may not be smart on paper, but it feels right in your heart. My voice just cracked there. See, (laughs) that's really sweet. Uh, (laughs) The the thing, you know, I, I, it was it was a very difficult it was a very difficult thing to do and i i think a lot of people i appreciate that people look at and know what a big leap of faith it was i wish that i had the answer as to how it all turned out right and i know that we discussed a lot of this on our podcast when we were talking with me because i asked you what have you found that most people who have found success have relied on and a lot of it came back to mindset and mindfulness and being aware and being present. And that came back to meditation. And I have struggled in trying to figure out where my exact path has been. And it's been going back to being in the presence of the breath and the meditation and the thoughtfulness and where I am that has kept me sane in this process. Because I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't quite know yet what it was that I wanted to do. Yeah, and it you kept become, me up at night a lot. The meditation helps you become better at reading the signs too. You become more in tune with your body, and what I found is you become you tap into that um, that energy that allows you to sort of know what's right and what's wrong. Your intuition becomes stronger, right? You you you. This is what I've noticed because before everything was on emotion. You know, I drank a lot. It was never I never felt never felt it properly, but allowing meditation allows you to be able to feel things the way they're meant to be felt. You know, that intuition, That's a good way to put it. The intuition comes more alive. So you know when things aren't working out, you know it's not working out, but some people don't even understand that's your intuition giving you a little nudge, right? Or whatever it is. And I feel that's my perspective of meditation is it allows you to be it, it like tightens up your senses, more, so to speak. It like sharpens them, you know? I can see that. I can see that. For me, it was like the witching hour. I think a lot of people who are in a stressful situation, you know, they say, oh, I can't sleep between two and four. You know, like I wake up and my brain is on fire and like there's that constant talking in your head. And it's learning to be able to calm the the fears. Like, you know, I talked about the fear of, of making this big, massive leap, but the fear didn't go away because I didn't have the answers. It was a matter of putting perspective on the fear and the voice in our heads that are always telling us negative things. And it's constantly talking about you can't, or you should have, or why didn't you? And then, and you look at past events and you're looking at future events and you're not actually 
in the moment. And so what I've really tried to, to, to do lately is be in this moment of enjoying this journey of transformation, you know, of being this caterpillar who's kind of walked into this cocoon. You know, I was like this beautiful caterpillar, you know, on the TV show and I needed to kind of cocoon myself and I'm trying to figure out what, what kind of butterfly emerges at the other end when we reinvent ourselves. Right. And, and that's where I'm finding the meditation is really helping is that I'm, I'm in this cocoon trying to go through thoughts and, and awareness about what life is out there so that I can feel good about what's going to happen, you know, outside of all of this. Well, you have a pretty good track record of success. Let's be honest, right? Like you've been able to achieve some good things. So it's just a matter of, yeah, like allowing things to unfold your journey. It's all about the journey, right? Right. And if anyone thinks that the journey goes in a straight line, no. You know, it, it it really doesn't. And that's been a wake up call for me because, you know, if you listen to my story for the first half of this podcast, it was a trajectory that like kind of was really going in a nice mm-hmm. straight upwards. Like I was on an incline yeah. the whole time, right? From, the, from a very young age. And so when I jumped off of that cliff, I realized I thought I was going to still be kind of soaring high. And it's like you come crashing down and then there's like spirals and like down and up and crisscrossing. And it's, it's, it hasn't been the straight line that I've been accustomed to. The one thing that I'm really thankful for is that I loved, I loved the storytelling, kind of just like you're realizing that you love telling people's stories, is that when I would be sitting on the set of the show and I would have these five-minute interviews with these guests, I realized like they had so much more to their story. They had so much more information to tell. And so the one thing I knew that I was totally passionate about was, was the storytelling. And so being able to have all of my favorite guests come onto my own show and my own podcast and be able to tell their stories and to be able to give people more information than I was able to offer them on the morning show, that became like my passion project. Like, let's go back to all of these awesome guests you had that you know, that there's constantly a producer or director in your ear saying, throw to commercial, throw to commercial, their time is up. And now I had like an hour to talk to these people and share their information and inspire other people to make changes themselves. That became like my, like where the focus went. Yeah. That's got to be super frustrating because even as a viewer, you see this person, you're like, I like this. And then you have to, you have to stop. It's like, I want to hear more. Give me more. So you, you can imagine what it was like for me when I had these like amazing guests on the show and like we were given four, maybe five minutes and that was it. And it, it was very frustrating. That's and why then you, like, yeah. sorry, no, I didn't mean, I got excited yeah. there. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, no, it's totally it. And, and you know, I'm sure as a, as a viewer and listener, you're like, why did they cut that short? And as the, as the host, I would like fight it, you know, and then I'd be having them yelling in my ear going enough, like throw a commercial break. Like, and they knew if there was ever like a health and wellness or in, an author or inspiring person on, they just, they would already lecture me before the interview started. Like you've got <laughs> four minutes, five max, you know, uh, they yeah. knew that I was passionate about it and, and I could feel it. Like I could feel what I was like when it was a really good interview and I could feel how I was when I was just like, oh my God, this like, this, like wrap this up, right? Yeah, like two be, minutes is enough. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And that's why, because people have recommended to me, I go shorter with my episodes just because for the viewer or for the listener. But I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't care. I, I can't get enough good stuff. I can't get a real authentic conversation in 20 minutes. I'm sorry. It's just not me. It's not why I wanted to do podcasting. Maybe I'll do it one day at a different show, but for this style, I have to connect for longer than that. It, and it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's to have like a real conversation 
and get to know people and pull out some good value, you got to have a little bit, you got to be able to talk for a little bit, you know? I know. And, and the thing is, is that people have these amazing stories yeah. that you, you had no idea about. And, and there's a reason for everyone's why, you know, why are people studying this or working with people in a certain capacity? There is their why behind it is always so much more inspiring than you could ever imagine. And I think because of it, you're able to connect with people on such a different level that they find something in that story that relates to themselves and will actually force or inspire change in them, right? Why they need to be doing a certain thing, why they should try, you know, and especially because our mind are very much health and wellness oriented. It's giving people the inspiration that if this person faced this many adversities or was this sick and they were able to feel this good, you've got the time to explain why. And if people are really passionate about it, they'll stick around. They'll listen to the story. For sure. I mean, you look at some of the podcasts, Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, they're like two and a half hours, right? It's because it's, that's what, that's what sparked everybody's interest in the first place was those real, like you're a fly on the wall conversations. It's like, Oh, I wouldn't hear this normally. And although that's a different situation, I would rather base mine on having a real authentic story as would you, especially when you're, you're, you're forced to, have that in five minutes for so long and all you want to do is connect further and you can't, that would drive me nuts. Cause I would have the same people would be like, Hey, stop it. Like, stop. You're going to have to like, cause I get too excited. I'd, I'd want to yeah. talk all day. Yeah. You like tried, you try taking these and putting them into a four or yeah. five minute segment. Like it, there's, it's, you, it's, it's a, I found at some point it was just like a waste. It was such a tease, you know, that it, you know, I felt like I was teasing people Right. and we don't need that. No. No. So tell us more about living your life. Tell us more about your podcast. So um, just like you, I'm, I'm actually approaching the 100th episode mark, which is really, yeah, uh, thank you. And I haven't, uh, I haven't missed a beat. I haven't missed a week, which I'm really, really proud of. And I, I love, gosh, I love my guests. Like, and I have learned so much through them. I mean, here I was a very active, very self-aware person and the topics and the information and the changing viewpoints of people and how they want to live their lives is fascinating. People just aren't, you know, there's a, there's this, a small set of people that are very content, just living in the dark, living in, you know, survival and not thriving. And then there are people who are generally looking for a way to enhance and, and thrive in life. And so my guests have ranged anywhere from, you know, doctors and naturopathic doctors and Ayurvedic medicine to Olympians and people who have had the worst kind of adversity that they've had to face and have come out, you know, uh, just on another level. I had Ray Zahab who ran the Sahara Desert in 111 days. He was a two-pack Whoa. smoker a day, you know, uh, for most of his life. And he's now like the ultra marathon runner of the world. Uh, you know, I, I, gosh, I, I, there's a hundred episodes. I can't even like go back, but um, I've learned about, you know, just the mindfulness and happiness and, you know, all of these different levels of medicine and well-being that now have their own kind of embodiment. You know, the fact that you can have a happiness expert and it, and it makes sense and they've got like things that you can work on and, and where areas in your life that you can change in your mindset and how we have limited beliefs and how, you know, our neuroscience and quantum physics are, you know, have, mm. have a way with how we think and how we do and how the universe is working. Like for me, having those guests on and opening up my world has been 
it's like amazing. Like I, I leave yeah. on my Tuesdays after filming and I feel like a million bucks because I'm like, I learned something yeah. from these people and I love that. And I love that the response from my guests have been, you know, people are calling. I've had, you know, new people come in. People are asking about these services and, and, and that's great because that's the change that I'm making, right? You, mm. if you can inspire one person to make a change and to do something to better their lives, then, then we're winning. Oh, speaking my language. This is, this is so, <laughs> I'm like, I, I agree with you so much. It's like not even funny because it's stuff like happiness, stuff that was pushed under the rug is the most important thing in our lives. That's real success. Are you happy? Yes. Well, you, you're winning. You're winning. Right. And, but people think that you got to be unhappy. You got to like grind it out and grind it. In, and that's that success. And it's like, I love people like that, that can like twist the perspective and allow you to realize like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, and you're, cause we've been conditioned one way. And then you hear these people talk about, you know, their area of genius and you're like, whoa, I right. didn't even think about things like that. That's, I think, well, that for me was after you have as many guests as you had on and talking about, you know, healthy eating, exercise, mobility, self-care. And then they always came back to this mindfulness meditation. And I was constantly sitting there going, I do three out of the four. That's pretty good, right? I, I'm three out of the four. I don't have time for the whole meditation mindfulness thing, but I appreciate it. I just, I don't have time in my schedule. And then the problem is the more I sat in those interviews and the more health experts I had coming in and they're constantly coming back to meditation and mindfulness, you know, I'm like, something's got to give. And so once I finally gave into it, because I was a listener of my own podcast, I was trying to take in that information. It's been the game changer for me. And so that was my game changer. But for someone who's constantly dealing with, um, you know, like IBS or issues, and then maybe when I have an, inf an like an inflammatory expert coming on talking about inflammation and diets, like maybe there's a change for them there. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's all of these different places where people are able to find information that they hadn't quite considered, but that we're opening up the door for them. And they have experts that are around the world that have, you know, different science, different research that we have here in Canada, or we have in Ireland, or we have in Australia, like everyone's got a different way of looking at it. And so the podcast forum is just an amazing way to be able to connect us. Like the world is becoming much smaller. Absolutely. I find in that capacity for, for sharing of information. It's crazy. It's crazy how small it Look, is. And like we found each other, right? Like yeah. it was because yeah. you have, and, and maybe just because similar minded people, you know, we're finding, we're finding each other. That's the great thing is that you're able to connect easier. Like think about it. You wouldn't have been able to do this 20 years ago. No, no. 20 years ago, you were watching our morning show yeah. for four. Like, hey, you want to sit down and have a conversation <laughs> on a computer? Like what? <laughs> like, right. you know what? It's, it's crazy. And, and, and how you're able to, how you have one person and that person leads you to somebody else. And, you know, you start to build a little bit of credibility and then you can get other guests. It's crazy. It's a, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. And I remember you asking me, who's, who's my top favorite episodes? And I was like, oh shit, I can't remember. Like there's so many. Who, I'm going to ask you a tough I, question. I'm going to ask right. you a tough question about, about guests. Okay. Who has, the first one that comes into your mind, who has been the most impactful or most wow, like the most wow factor guest that was like, that comes to your mind? Not, like, not necessarily the most successful or the most this and that, but one that was like, whoa. Okay. You know what? Um, the one that I'm about to release. Uh, so by the time this comes on, I will have released it. 
this is where my, this is where I'm at right now in my life. But I had on, as I just mentioned, like this happiness expert and she had, you know, a number of different things, you know, that we need to like, there was a, she had eight pillars, but number seven was forgiveness. Mm. And it, it was never really a topic that I think I had talked about, you know, most of my stuff is health and wellness and, you know, inspiring stories. And then all of a sudden I'm dealing with the topic of forgiveness. And she had just this incredible insight as to how, when we fail to forgive, it's almost our own poison. You know, when we're attacking others or we're thinking a certain way about other people and, it's just the poison that we keep feeding to ourselves, expecting that that poison's going to hurt the other person, and it doesn't. It just it poisons us. We're the people that we're dying inside by failing to forgive or failing to see different things, and and so it's it's things like that. Maybe it's just because it's recent, but that really hit me. And I'm not paraphrasing it right, and she had a much better way of saying it, which is why hopefully people will listen to it. But it it became a different insight as to how our thoughts how our own thoughts are the only thing that we can control in our life. And it was, it had a a ton of, a ton of meaning for me. I've, and I've had such really interesting stories of of similar people. So, you know, I've had entrepreneurs who, you know, like who, whose lessons have been like the last thing I possibly could have thought about. I had a conductor of the national orchestra. So for us, like, you know, you see a conductor of an orchestra and, for him to talk about the – he had an amazing comparison between what they do as conductors and what a head coach does, you know. And the oh, wow. musicians of the orchestra have been training just the same way as the elite athletes, you know. Like it was just a comparison of how people who work and train all have a similar – it's just their, their mindset of, of, of passion, of training, of putting the hours in, of repetition – it, it's the same in every aspect of our lives. It's just how we choose to, you know, how we choose to evolve and how we choose to participate is just, is different, but it's yeah, the underlying it's, is all the same. It makes total sense. And I really like that analogy too, because when you're holding a grudge on somebody, it's so true. We think, oh, you know what? I'm going to hold this. I'm going to be pissed off. And it's like, they're really going to feel it. Nobody yeah. feels it. They don't feel it. No, especially if you broke up with somebody or you're in a bad there's your somebody it's like why be angry why because they're not they don't feel that it's the point you're poisoning yourself yeah. expecting them to die and it's never going to happen you're it's like, so true it was so it was true it was a nice eye opener it was just a different way of of looking at things and how much that effect has on us that we don't think that our holding grudges or our negative thinking about other people or caring what other people are thinking when they're probably not even thinking about us or yeah. It, it was a it was a really good wake up call. So sometimes you just have a guest on that you just think it's going to be light and fun and just I think you people relate and then there's a really deep concept that you come out of it with and mm. and I really love that about the podcast. And I can't come up with like all oh, the other ninety nine right no, now. I know okay. I, I hear you. Well, plus you've interviewed you've interviewed countless amounts as well in in, yeah, in got, TV too. Yeah, like it's crazy thousands and and I love. And I appreciated it when we talked about, it. I love the interview process, mm-hmm. right? And for me, it's just when you listen, so much more comes out when, you know, when you have like a prepped question list, it doesn't work because no. you're not listening. And the, oftentimes they have such amazing things that if you're really listening to someone, you'll pick up on it. And the yeah. follow-up question is usually the best one. Do you, do you ever, is this past you then? Do you still get nerves? Because I still get anxiety, even though I've done it, I still get a bit of like, 
which is good because I'm starting to learn, like, it's good for me to lean into that because I always feel so good after an interview, but I'm always, <laughs> always nervous. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is, even though I'm confident. I still, like I said, I have a list of things that I, I want, I can go at and talk about, but I can never, I never want a scripted. But at the same time, if I don't prepare, I feel like an asshole. You know what I mean? Like if I don't go into it, which I've done and I'm, when I don't prepare, I feel if I don't have some written down, I feel right. like, you know, I almost feel guilty. Well, preparation, preparation is key. But yeah. if, if you've been prepared and you've, and you've done your research and you know your concept and you know your topic, yeah. then, then the rest I think you don't, yeah. you don't need as long as you've done the prep work. And I think that's the same with anyone. Anyone's going to go into like a business meeting or a presentation or a test. And if, if they know that they've put the preparation in, they're going to walk in confident. They can sure. walk in a little bit nervous or excited, but it's the people that don't do the prep work and, and just magically think that something's going to be successful just because it's always been that way for them. Or yeah. then that's, that's usually when the failure starts to set in. Do and you get so, nervous though before an interview? I don't, but, um, but I have, if I, if I feel like I haven't done enough prep, Okay. It's not a nervous, I, there's a disappointment in that I know that I could have done better. Mm. I put the pressure on myself. But now that I'm starting to speak a little bit more and want to be able to be able to speak on stages, I'm nervous in that sense because it's a very different uh, avenue. It's a different way of speaking to people. And so I've gotten a little bit nervous on that. But as an athlete, you want that nervous energy. Yeah. You, want, you want to feel a little bit on edge because I think it helps in the setting. Like it, it helps us be better. Yeah, because I was I think I heard Sam Harris talk about this. He's like anxiety is on is like just the same as excitement. He's like there's that fine line that's that it's just because you're getting that doesn't mean that's a bad thing all the time. It's it's no, a form it, of excitement. It, it, it's yes. good because I think a lot of times this is just me is because I've got anxiety from other areas of my life, it comes on at different times. Sometimes I relate that same anxiety to like an exciting moment. But it's not the same. It's not, it feels the same in a way, but it's not actually the same anxiety feeling. If that makes any sense. People are probably like, what are you talking about? No, it does. Because the body has a certain sensation, but the mind yeah. is seeing it in a very different way. Yeah. But it doesn't quite know or correlate which one is it supposed to be feeling. <laughs> yeah. So like until it's over and then you can appreciate it, right? Yeah. It's like, okay, I did great. Or that was awesome. Or that felt amazing. Yeah. Or that didn't quite go as I had planned. There's that yeah, too. That, there is that. Where, so what do you got working on right now? And, and what can we, where, where can we find you in the next little while here? Well, I just came back, as you mentioned, I just came back from that wellness cruise that I hosted, which was oh, like yeah. a year and a half in the making. That was amazing. It was taking some of my favorite health and wellness experts. And we went uh, on a cruise along the Danube River. So Budapest and Vienna. Amazing. And it was unbelievable. And I had people doing workouts and workshops and everything you can possibly imagine. And so that was a really great experience to be able to have. But for me right now, it's, it's building on the living your life with Leanne Lang brand. It's, it's building on the stories and the concepts and getting as many health and wellness experts out on the show and out into people's homes. And, you know, and honestly, it's just changing people's lives one, one story at a time. So that's where my focus is. If people want to be able to check it out, just like you, like really fascinating, interesting guests with some great information. And, and it's very similar to you just trying to see that grow each and every day. It's really nice. I know we're competitive, but it's like you look every day, like, okay, yeah. how many people tuned in, you know, and, and how the numbers. And so as long as I see the steady rise, then I, then I know it's, we're going in the right direction. 
Yeah, that's it's. I agree. It's tough though if you if you're watching the numbers a bit because you know it can be a little bit daunting as as well. Sometimes it's it takes a while, but I mean, even with mine, I, I try not to look at it too much because sometimes it, I I'm expecting it to grow faster than than it is, and for me, I'm like I'm not gonna look at it right now. See, that's good too. <laughs> but I mean, I guess it really depends. Like for me, it's the feedback that I I I feel. I like the feedback I get from the guests. Yeah. Did the phone ring at their office? You know, did people respond and say, oh my God, I never knew that about you. I was so excited to listen to it. I have a totally different sense of, of what's going on now. And I, for me, it's the feedback that I like to get from the guests that were on the show yeah, as to sure. how it helped or benefited them. And that for me is always, I, is like the gift that I get from them. More because you, so, do in, you do in person, right? All of it's so, in person. So all of mine that are done here in the city are done in person because I'm so used to, and my audience was so used to seeing me with an individual, right? And, and sitting and having them next to me. So all of my podcasts here are done in studio. However, because you quickly have to learn how this whole podcast world works is that I started to realize the more I was doing these stories is that there were experts and really fascinating people around the world. And so I had to quickly learn how to be able to host the podcast to people like you or to my experts in different areas of the world. And so I opened that up. So now I'm taping other podcasts like and throwing them into the mix um, every other week to have someone coming in from outside of the city to be able to be on. And, and that's been amazing to see how the audience grows that way. And the information is amazing. Yeah. It's always good to have variety. That's awesome. Well, yeah. where, where can everybody find you? Where's the best place? Uh, the podcast is called Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. It's uh, best place to go. I mean, it's available everywhere. Like every yeah. everywhere you can find a podcast, it's it's listed there. Um, my name is uh, crazy to spell, but it's leannelang.com is my website and you can yeah. find a ton of stuff there. I know you have your show notes, so I'm pretty sure it'll end up yeah. in that. Um, yeah. and, and that's probably the best way. And I'm, I'm looking to create another kind of big trip again with some health and wellness experts and get you know somewhere around the world and do that trip once again. And just building it out. I mean, I hope to eventually, the, the end goal was to be able to take this concept and build it back into my own television show. I'm used to being on TV and I love the storytellings, but I think also with some of the information that comes to us in the podcast, it'd be great to be able to have the person talk about it, have the person see it, have us use it, have us demo what they're talking about. And I think that that can actually be done also in a television format. So that's the that's the end goal. And if I say it out loud enough, then I I just, I'll be able to to be able to get something like that to happen. I was just yeah. going to say, you just said it. You just created it. I already had the vision. You've already done that in a setting. It's like you're taking a TV show, a structured news program, and you're making it your own. It, you that could easily do that. You could easily do that. That's it. It's done. Yes. Universe. Okay. That's See, it. I love it. And, and Lance, that, to be honest with you, when I sat on that, that set, when they said, do you really want to leave? I started to visualize that show. Yeah. Like this is the show that I want to create that I want to sit back on a set and feel amazing about the guests and the topics that we're covering. So, so that eventually is going to be hopefully the end goal. At least that's where the, that's where the visualization. That's, that's where it's going. That's where it's going. Right. Exactly. Who knows what'll come out of it? Well, that's awesome. We'll have everything in the show notes, obviously for them to find you. It's, it's easy to find you, your social media as well. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. 
This was awesome. It, it's so different for me. To, I hope I didn't like, you know, ask too many questions. It's so no. weird for me on the other side of it. I, I need to you're, do, I think more like where I just. Oh, you're, you're so good at, that's why I really liked your, your style of interviewing. That's why for me, it's like, it's easy to talk to somebody that's done this before. You know, it's not like that awkward, huh? Like sometimes you know, I, some people are just socially awkward. They're just not used to being interviewed, you know, as, as much. And some people are, some people aren't used to talking as much. So it's always good to have somebody that's kind of, kind of gets it, you know, that, that can, <laughs> that can go on a little bit longer, Yeah, no, but I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to getting the response too, from people having listened to yours. So we'll see how that goes. We'll, we'll cross, we'll cross promote. Awesome. Well, Thanks, I, I always end with one final question. Oh, okay. One staple question to leave everybody with a valuable takeaway. What is one lesson that adversity has taught you? I ask every single person this. We're much stronger than we think we are. We really are. Um, and the, the, it's interesting. Um, I have one quote that, I, that, that I've always had, and it was a poster that was on my bedroom wall as a very young child. And it said, um, and I'm not a religious person, so don't take it in a religious way, but it was, do not pray for an easy life. Pray to be a strong person. Mm. And, and I, it's come into play more times in my life than I think, you know you would have thought. And it's been critical. You just, the stronger you are, the more that you're going to, you're going to get through and accomplish. So that, that's where I'm going to go with that one. I love it. Awesome. All right. Well, amazing. Uh, thank you everybody. I'm sure you guys got a ton of value. I know I did. That was, uh, that was awesome. Again, Leanne, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. Thanks Lance. Appreciate it. Thanks everybody. Leanne Lang.